Resilient Disciples podcast, powered by Elwana. I'm your host, Ross Cochran. Thank you for listening. What has become clear during this pandemic, during this crisis, is that we need as many loving, caring adults as possible to be making resilient disciples. This was true before the coronavirus, but it has become crystallized during this time as the structures we have relied upon for so long have ceased to exist. Today's conversation is all about how we as loving, caring adults can work together to help the children in our local context. And even though it was recorded before COVID-19 changed our lives, I found it to be helpful and hopeful as we look toward the future of the faith after this pandemic and beyond. Dr. Josh Mulvihill is the Executive Director of Church and Family Ministry at Renew a Nation, an organization dedicated towards helping children develop a biblical worldview. And he's also on the board at Awana. You can learn more about Renew a Nation via the show notes, but Josh is someone who cares deeply about kids having a place to belong. And in this conversation, he offers strategies on how to partner with other ministries in your church and organizations around your community to simply help kids. We start the episode with some perspective on what makes Renew a Nation unique. And I hope you listen to the entire episode because at the end, you'll hear our conversation around a revival for the church that we think can start in children's ministry. Thank you for listening. Here is episode 30 of the Resilient Disciples podcast. I like the breadth of focus that we have at Renew Nation, that it's not looking at a singular influence which is significant and impactful, but recognizing that for most individuals, there's a whole lot of people and, and, and things that really impact who they become. Mm. And we can isolate any one of those and really drill down on it, and that's important. Um, but we're looking at, trying to look more broad, more holistically to say, what are those primary influences um, primarily people influences um, that are shaping who kids are becoming and we want to influence those influencers. And yeah. so of course uh, for kids that's, it begins in the home um, parents and grandparents scripture tells us. And then um, in the church, that's God's second institution to evangelize and disciple kids. That's why children's ministry. That's why youth ministry is so critical. That's why the whole congregation is critical um, and then uh, in scripture, education fits under the family and the church arena. There's not a separate category for that in the Bible. We've kind of separated that out in, in our own category today. But that's a, the other primary influence. You get, you know, I think about 16,000 hours in the education world. And so we look at those, those three primary areas, church, family, home, and go, okay, those are primarily shaping who our kids are becoming from a people side. You've got You've got peers, you've got uh, media, um, and those are significant factors. Oftentimes, though, those voices fill in when there's a void from the others. So you sometimes oh, get, when you get a strong family influence, you get a strong church influence, you get a strong um, school influence. When those ones are filling the space, there's just not as much opportunity for those other influences, positive or negative, to come in and fill the space. Um, obviously there's, that's a, a generality and everybody could poke holes in generalities <laughs> and say, I know somebody that and I'm sure you do. And you're probably right. Um, but in general, you know, this is God's design is, 
uh, it, that's his design for a reason. And so we've, we've chosen as an organization to say, we're going to invest in, in our greatest energy in those arenas because those are the ones that set the tone. And then, of course, uh, we live in a day and age where you get broken homes and, and uh, you get dysfunctional homes. So then what do you do in that case? Or you get a church that gets off mission uh, and loses um, perspective on what they're doing, uh, either generally as a church or specifically in, in um, specific ministry areas. And um, and so, you know, that's where the grace of God and that's where our ministry sometimes walks in and goes, okay, we want to help families get back on the right path. We want to help churches understand a biblical strategy. We want to help schools who have uh, potentially strayed from uh, from their mission, uh, all, and all of those three are, are founded on Scripture. We want to help them get back to uh, to what God has called us to in working with children. Yeah. And so, um, ideally, you, you know, a child will have two of those three that are hitting it out of the park, um, and, and a third could be compensated for. Um, if a child has all three, you know, their success ratio goes way higher. Uh, but if a child only has one of those, obviously that's a lot more difficult to see a child know and love serve Christ for their life. And so we try to get as many of those influences in a child's life um, who love Christ and love them radically and are making outrageous attempts to invest relationally and, and um, are deeply scriptural and are investing in those ways in their life just to really help help those children get on their feet and um, and in this day and age, man, it seems like everything is against kids, right? I mean, yeah. it is it is tough to be living in this uh, in this culture, and so um, having that voice in those arenas has uh, has been good. And you know, the interesting thing in the Christian arena, um, we have it's the it's the era of specialists, and so you tend to have people, and they don't talk to each other. It's, you know, we get it if you're in the church world, which I've been 20 years. You get your silos and mm-hmm. you know, your different areas of ministry that have to really work for cross pollinization, cross communication, and you get that in ministries too, where education ministries don't talk to church ministries, which don't talk to family ministries. They're all doing their thing, uh, and they're all important. Um, so we're pretty unique in that we live in kind of live in all of those spheres. Yeah. Yeah. So you, you touched on something interesting that I want to dive into a little bit, which is this idea of raising up the whole congregation. Um, because I think that a lot of people who listen to this, that has not necessarily been their experience, regardless of the health of the church, that they have had much more of a siloed existence in their ministry. How does a kid ministry person, a kid ministry leader who's already overburdened, with the own responsibilities of navigating kids, how do they begin to build those bridges and show the benefit of that? Like, how do you prove how important this is? Mm. Yeah, I think we could talk about that question for a long time. (laughs) Um, If you're new or looking at a new position, you're in a different place than somebody that's in an established role. So I want to speak to both of those. If you're new I would address that from the get-go uh, with a church. Um, for example, I was when I was being interviewed at one church, I said, I'm going to encourage children to worship with the congregation. If that's not what you're looking for, I'm not your guy. Um, and that was a conversation like that. that the board had with me prior to being hired that 
Um, I wanted them to know this is this is I, I want to elevate and celebrate the presence of kid in our kids in our worshiping community and this is priority and here's why. Um, and that set the tone. They, they did hire me and that set the tone <laughs> for that um, that church in that way. And kids were in kids were part of that community then. Um, you know, it, I think it, and I reason I emphasize that, if there's a, a faulty theology of church's family to begin with and kids are out of sight and out of mind, it has already set a precedence for um, children in the whole life of the church. And yeah. if you can't win there, you're going to be swimming upstream the rest of the way. That's my view. If you're in an existing um, position, um, I think there's a lot of things that can be done. Um, one, uh, statistics tell stories sell. So uh, what stories of children either that are having problems can you put forth as a potential solution that the community of believers can provide? Or what great um, victories have you seen that can be a compelling vision for others to get engaged, whether that's um, adults that are serving or children that have been impacted and Many times we don't capture those stories or even aren't looking out for them. Sometimes it takes some intention and it does take time. You know, we're moving Sundays always a coming and Wednesday nights a coming and yeah. uh, we're moving from thing to thing. And uh, whether that's us personally that grab those or put somebody on it, that was a win for us. Um, if you have the, you know, in the day of cell phones with cameras and um, video capabilities on it, even capturing some of that. It doesn't have to be in a, a Dove Award or whatever, Academy <laughs> Award quality, uh, but just to get some of those that people, you know, children, the, you have the best product in your whole church. Amen. It's a child. And Amen. so you put those children in front of your congregation uh, and it's going to, it's going to touch their hearts. And so we want to, we want to expose those stories. We want to get kids in front of our congregation. Uh, Another thing I would say is you have opportunities to repurpose in many churches to repurpose um, existing things that are already happening. So child dedications, uh, our church did three a year. That was an opportunity for me. I would, uh, I would lead those and they provided opportunities every single time They weren't long, five minutes, seven minutes, whatever, Uh, but they provided opportunities to be advocates for children, to Mm. celebrate children, to invite uh, the congregation. Essentially, we're saying, will you invest in the discipleship of these kids to the congregation and parents? Are you, you know, agreeing to um, raise your children in the instruction and nurture of the Lord? And, you know, this is an opportunity for you to, if you mean it, then, uh, you know, they're doesn't mean you have to serve in the classroom every time. Um, that's the only way you can do that. But this is an invitation. Um, we had a couple of all-in um, times throughout our year that we anticipated and expected the church to get engaged. So um, for oh, us, that's helpful. Yeah. yeah, so for us, we literally would say, you know, we were a, a large church. So in large churches, there's a hundred million different um, programs that people can engage in. And sure. we would actually, we, we made it a such a high priority that we would limit what other things were on the calendar. 
we built into our, our vision and our values of our church. One of our kind of one of our mantras as a church is outrageous attempts to reach and disciple uh, zero to 18. And so that, you know, what outrageous meant was never defined. It was a little <laughs> ambiguous, sure. but the fact that we had at least put it at that level to say, you know, we're going to make this a priority in our, uh, in, in our church. So um, I don't know what your, you know, what your communication skill levels like uh, this, um, you know, for, as a listener yeah. uh, and your, but your, and your ability to go and um, persuade and, um, and kind of stand in the gap for your, your children. But in many ways you need to, that's kind of mm-hmm. part of your job. Absolutely. Uh, otherwise, um, you know, most senior leaders, they've got pressing things, tyranny, the urgent. Uh, and a lot of times they're thinking, you know, if my, if my children are doing well, our families are happy and things are humming along, I'm going to be focusing on other things. And so keeping the, the importance of this ministry in front is pretty significant. I'd also say lastly, then I know Chad is long here, sell the why. Uh, but you have as many compelling reasons of why children's ministry is important as any other ministry as Amen. far as return on investment. Uh, just, you know, when people come to faith in Christ tends to skew heavy towards the younger ages. Um, you know, the, uh, the, the, just the culture our kids are growing up in has changed so fast, so drastically that uh, there has to be a higher level of intensity and intentionality in these younger ages uh, because, you know, our kids right now, our culture, it's a missionary zeal to win them over to things other than Christ. And Mm -hmm. so whoever wants kids the most is going to get them. And we need, that's not a, we can't, you can't outsource that to a single person and every children's minister and youth pastor would go, amen. Um, you know, we do our best, but we can't, we can't be the superhero for everybody. And so that's this, that's why it is an all congregation, all hands on deck, um, component. I love that. And I love that. Um, what I hear you saying in that is a level of, it's a thing that I think no one's going to disagree with, right? No one's going to be like, well, actually kids should be pushed aside right? That no one's going to take the time to say those words, but that the actions that we have accepted as normal, that kids ministry is this thing that happens down the hall or downstairs or um, in a separate wing um, or building sometimes that we've accepted that that is okay because we have to have big church Um, that we've accepted that these things are the way that they are because we've always done them that way. And now we are in a world that that is no longer sustainable. Um, there's two, there's something in particular that you touched on that I think connects back to the overall mission of your ministry as well about whoever wants kids the most is going to get them. You want to develop a biblical worldview. How do you define a biblical worldview? Mm -hmm. Because I think there is a cost associated with a biblical worldview, a real biblical worldview that is far beyond, um, being a good person. I had a I have a pastor friend in Minnesota who called it fire insurance. There's so many people walking around with fire insurance because they are good, morally upstanding people who may not necessarily have a biblical worldview. So how do you define a biblical worldview? Yeah. Uh, really, it's the shaping of beliefs that leads to a, uh, a life that is lived in honor to Christ and in alignment with scripture. And mm-hmm. so we look at what are the factors that lead somebody to say, I love Jesus and I want to live for Jesus. Uh, you know, we're 
using the language of biblical worldview. Um, another way of looking at biblical worldview is what's kind of the big story of the of reality that I think is true or a child thinks is true. And so, um, and who gets to define that? Where do we find, you know, in, in today's day and age, where do the, the a, a child is essentially told you're the, you're the keeper of truth. You get to determine what's false and what's not. And, um, and so this is where those key relationships are the ones that, that they're the soil that, uh, a heart thrives and belief grows. And it's those little interactions day after day, 10 minutes at a time that often, sometimes we don't think as are as pretty significant, but they, they make a difference. Yeah. And, you know, we look at, I look at, we've got a huge oak tree in our backyard. It's probably 150, 200 years old. I can't see that oak tree growing from year to year. It's slow. It's indiscernible. And in many ways, that's that's the spiritual life of a child. It's slow. It's Amen. indiscernible. Um, but it's those little interactions day after day from, um, from a parent, from a grandparent, from... Um, the Awana leader, the the church staff, from their teachers, from their school settings, and they all begin to um, come together to f- to shape that child and to shape what that young person believes. And so, uh, we want to influence all of those because they are shaping who that young person becomes. And of course, um, many of us we we end up becoming like those that we love and like those that we identify with. And so this is where God has, you know, he knows relationships matter and he knows that's where the community of believers um, needs to rally around a child. So at Renew Nation, then uh, when we think biblical worldview, we're looking at how do we help a child become uh, who God created them to be in, in his image and how do we surround them with those kinds of people that will speak blessing and truth and love and grace and support them into the, that young person's life. Um, and you know, the, there's been many studies done one by Barna that comes to mind that somewhere in the range of only four to 10% of young people today have a biblical worldview. In other words, if we were to look at what they say they believe and then how they live their behaviors, um, only, you know, you you have a hundred kids, and only four to ten of those are living in alignment with Scripture. Those are alarming kinds of studies. Yeah. Um, and so we go, okay, where where are we missing it? Mm-hmm. Um, and then we look at the studies that show the number of young people who are leaving the church and walking away for, from Christ. And you know, those those that's not new to most of us. We've seen those. Um, and so the. The encouragement that I would give, um, both from where kids are at individually and where we are at organizationally with a lot of churches, um, is a, a gracious encouragement to truly evaluate, um, are we investing in the things that truly lead towards a lifelong faith for those kids? And are we Amen. doing what we need to be doing to transfer faith to the next generation? And uh, and I, I think of the business world uh, where, you know, there's a lot of evaluation uh, typically around the amount of money that comes into an organization and goes out. Um, in the church, our 
our product, it might sound crude, but our product is children and children's and youth ministry, and even as a church as a whole. Uh, and if we're doing, if those statistics are anywhere in the ballpark of correct, um, and that's our result, if we, if we transition that to the business world, the business world would go, these results are very problematic. They're yeah. very concerning. And for I think for most of us listening, I assume most would agree that that's true, but have we actually made the adjustments, sometimes hard adjustments that we need to make in ministry to not get those same kinds of results? Yeah. And, and, uh, and so that would be my encouragement for people listening to say, okay, um, looking at, you know, we've got 60 to 70 years essentially of children's and youth ministry. We've have invested more people, more money, more time into um, paid children, really ever ever in the history of the church in 2,000 years. Mm-hmm. And we haven't seen the kinds of results that we should be seeing with those kinds of investments. So where are we off? And I'm not, yeah. I'm not saying I have the answer. Uh, <laughs> I, I have some ideas. Sure. Um, but where we're obviously missing the mark to some degree. So what kind of course corrections do we need to do uh, at Awana? Um, the highly relational piece is it, that that banner is being raised high, uh, in whereas in many times I think we have a a fun centric a an attractional component. Fun is great. My kids love fun. Uh, attractional. We want to encourage people to come to church. Um, so those are good things. But when they become more of the end goal, um, that becomes problematic. And I'm gonna give you an example from my own life. So I've worked uh, as a pastor for an, for about 20 years, and I had one uh, executive pastor at a church that I served in came to me and said, uh, Josh, uh, so this one I was a children's family pastor. Okay. said, Josh, I know you love all that truth stuff. So I and you, and go, oh, dear, <laughs> here we go, yeah. right? That's the yeah. way you're going to open it. So this is an exact quote. I know you love all that truth stuff. But what I need from you is for you to develop programs that can attract children and family to this church to grow it. Now, he said very verbatim what a lot of churches are doing yeah. without stating it that clearly. I'll I mean, be honest, I, given that setup, I thought it was going to be worse. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, there we go. Uh, but I mean, that that's the reality. The children's ministry for a lot of churches is a church, church growth vehicle, whether they'll state it that clear or whether they won't. And, you know, there's lots of studies that show there's certain things you need to do to grow church from parking lots to seats in the pews or the seats in the worship center to children's ministry, kind of, you got your critical areas. Um, and we all want to see churches grow. That's a lagging indicator, not a, you know, if that's your goal, we're going to grow, grow, grow. You know, you start to align your staffing, your curriculum, your, your, all your decisions program programmatically, they all are made with that goal in mind. And, uh, so I, uh, you know, I, it's hard sometimes in children in, in the youth world, you know, we're typically down the pecking order. Uh, we're not the decision makers. And sometimes we're not even at the table when decisions are made. Um, but what can be done in order to provide a children's and youth ministry that's not fun-centric and attractional in nature as the primary goal, the philosophical focus, 
um, goes a long way to seeing an impactful ministry. And so, uh, you know, highly relational, deeply scriptural, truly experiential where these kids are, they're learning to serve Christ. They're learning to live it out so that their lives um, are, are making a difference for Christ, that they're not just sitting in a classroom and um, all of those areas. No, it, uh, amen. I feel like um, I love that Oak Tree metaphor because I think that part of the reason why we've chased fun, whether consciously or unconsciously, is that, that we see that short-term fruit. Like we, we hear how happy they are. We hear, you know, they, they come back for that second week because they're like, man, I had so much fun the week before. Statistically, they don't come back for the third or the fourth week because right. the roots are shallow, right? But I think it relates to that oak tree metaphor because it's, you know, a biblical worldview. Part of what I think is the cry of a lot of people's hearts is a, is a revival, Mm. is that this is something that is going to last multiple generations, that the child who is in your ministry right now becomes a grandparent who's investing in the grandchild of their own, right? And that that is the end goal. That is not achieved through a fun-centric model. That is not achieved. That is only achieved through a biblical worldview. And it is incredibly important work for us to recognize that we won't see the oak tree grow. We're not going to necessarily see the um, the fruit of that, but that those little works, because I also hear from you in that, is that there's so many practitioners who are listening to this who have a to-do list a mile long, personally and professionally, and that it may be the best thing that you can do for your ministry to get off the hamster wheel for a week or a day or an hour <laughs> just to start to really take stock of how you're doing spiritually how the kids in your life, the families that you're serving, how they're doing with Jesus, as opposed to if there's a fun, how much fun they're having. Yeah. Um, when you look at, I want to use this, this language of like the church of 2050. That's been a, a sort of a banner that we've raised high, which is just a handle to describe the future of the faith. What do you believe revival can look like and how do we get there? Yeah. Yeah. Well, we do what uh, with churches and, and schools we call our revitalization program where we help churches or schools kind of in two categories. One that have um, had problems or challenges and want to address some of those specifically uh, and design a, a, um, a biblical strategy around their children and youth. Okay. Uh, others that have had a lot of success and have seen a lot of wonderful things happen and want to keep that going. Um, so there are all kinds of, you know, you asked the how-to question. Um, I think it begins with clarity scripturally, uh, what we are called to. You know, you, you, you can't implement ambiguity. And so um, a lot of problems, not always, but a lot of problems happen in life when we begin to um, begin to try to implement something different from scripture. You just, you know, God doesn't, God doesn't bless that. And yeah. so um, a lot of churches, you know, the reality is a lot of churches don't have clarity around, if you say, what's children's ministry? What's family ministry? What does, what does discipleship mean? Mm. You'll get 10 different answers from 10 different people. Uh, when I was hired to do family ministry in a church, they said, uh, you know, half your job is children's ministry, half your job is family ministry. I said, well, what does family ministry mean? I don't know. You figure it out and kind of do that. Oh, 
great. Okay. Same guys before uh, or different church? Yeah, same church. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> and so, you know, that, that clarity piece is pretty critical because yeah. senior leaders, um, senior pastor, elder board, parents probably all have a different idea. So clarity is pretty significant coming in. Um, and we fight for clarity with churches and schools because if you can't, you don't have clarity, uh, you've, I feel like you've, you're, you're struggling already right out of the gate. Um, you know, prayer is a big component. Uh, many, many of us, as we're moving a thousand miles a minute, uh, our own prayer life is not always the best or our organization is not, uh, praying collectively. And so I would encourage that to be a significant foundation, um, that is present, uh, whether that's built into your own walk with the Lord daily, or that's built into some of those weekly or monthly rhythms that happen, um, to be praying that God would, if there are spe- very specific needs and requests, that God just begin to be praying for those, that God would work. And it's amazing. Um, God calls us to prayer for a reason. You have not because you ask not. And that's obviously not a genie in the bottle um, guarantee, but um, but it, it pr- prayer does make a difference. So I would, I would encourage on that front. Um, you know, I think uh, what brings about uh, revitalization in a lot of our churches is you need somebody to be that banner carrier, that individual that will light the match and start the fire. And that takes courage. And um, for us in ministry, I think there's a lot of fear of man that happens. Whether, you know, you if you're going to speak up, you're going to stick your neck out. And that's... Yeah. That's scary for a lot of us, um, but I would encourage there to be uh, revival has to start. Revitalization has to start somewhere and with someone, and maybe that's you. Maybe God's calling you to uh, a step of faith and to trust in him to say, I'm going to, you know, because I love the Lord, because I love these children, I'm going to choose to maybe step out of my comfort zone and have the conversation. That's not an easy conversation, but for the sake of Christ and for the sake of the next generation, um, I'm going to be okay if my reputation takes a hit or I have to do something that includes getting up and speaking publicly that I don't normally do or don't want to do, or um, maybe flex a muscle from a skill set that isn't something that I normally do. So I don't know where that fear factor is for you potentially as a listener. Um, but for change to happen, um, you know, I looked through scripture and what God called so many people to that he, he calls the most unlikely people, right? God used, God spoke through a donkey. (laughs) So if God can use a donkey, he can use me and he can use you. He uses the ordinary. He uses the unexpected. And, uh, and maybe that's you. Maybe that is you that God is saying, I put my, you're, you're the person at this time in this location that I'm calling to, um, to step into something that um, maybe that's not the greatest passion or um, maybe that's not the greatest expectation in your mind. But, um, but I just would encourage that to happen. And, uh, and, I, and I would expect that uh, God would, would bless that, maybe not in ways we always expect, but, uh, but, uh, but that it, you know, God, God works with individuals that step out in faith like that. So have a radical faith and, uh, and step out. 
The Resilient Disciples podcast is powered by Awana. Awana is a global nonprofit organization dedicated to equipping leaders to reach kids with the gospel and engage them in lifelong discipleship. Awana is fueled by the generous support of individuals, churches, and organizations, as well as resource sales. Subscribe to the podcast today so you never miss an episode and go to resilientdisciples.com for more resources and many more of these conversations. The podcast is mixed, edited, produced, and hosted by me, Ross Cochran. Thanks to Kevin Orris and Phil Wallace for making the podcast happen. And thank you for listening. I'll talk to you next week.